Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance um, with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay any, anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Nathan, thank you. Good morning. I'll um, I'll pray. Father in heaven, as we come to your word now and as we think about um, the nature of redemption, we pray that you'll open the hearts and minds of, of, of each of us. For those of us who are not Christians, um, may, uh, may, may those in the congregation uh, hear your word and be, be challenged to put their trust in the Lord Jesus. For those of us who are, Lord, encourage us and spur us on. Um, in our faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Christianity in its purest form is, is not about rules and it's not about being good or religious or bigoted or unreasonable. It's not concerned with telling everyone that they're wrong and we're right. I get a little bit tired of the portrayal of Christianity in the media and in, in popular culture generally that Christianity is all about what you're not allowed to do and that, Christian, uh, that Christians are party poopers who are against anything that's progressive. 
We're represented as being old-fashioned and out of touch and bigoted and judgmental and hypocritical. And sure, there are those types out there. But it sometimes makes us feel somewhat embarrassed and perhaps makes us doubt who we are. But then I consider the reality that the media and popular culture really only deal with uh, negative stereotypes. And I remember Jesus' words that I shouldn't fear and reverence what people think, but I should fear and reverence what God thinks. If only our culture would truly know the gospel and see Christianity for what it truly and and biblically is. If only people could see Christianity in its pure form for the treasure that it is. You see, true Christians are humble. They recognise that being right with God really has nothing to do with them. As someone once said, when we speak about the gospel, we're merely one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Christians are identical to everyone else. We suffer, we fail, we go through good times and we go through bad times. We live with disabilities, we get married, we get divorced, we get angry, we get depressed, we get sick, we pay taxes and we die. We're the same in every way but for one significant detail, we have been redeemed. We've been given a great and precious gift, something that we could not find or attain for ourselves. This gift is so precious and so valuable and so costly and so incredibly lavish and life-transforming that we're never quite the same again. What we've been given by God, even though we deserve the opposite, is grace. God has done for us something that we could never do for ourselves. He's set us free from our slavery to sin. And our slavery to sin was so entrenched that we could not even see that we were enslaved. So God, by his own choosing, woke us up to the reality of our sinful condition and gave us the capacity to repent and believe the good news. And even this capacity is given to us by God. It's all God's work, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. The message of the gospel and the spiritual reality of redemption is the same for everyone. But our experience of it will differ depending on on who we are. Jesus' message is relevant and vital to all people from every walk of life. If if you want to turn in your Bible to to Mark chapter 5 and as you you sort of walk through uh, the middle of Mark's gospel... You, you see Jesus delivering people from all sorts of captivity to sin. So at the beginning of Mark, you have a demon-possessed man and Jesus has the power to overcome the devil and free him from slavery to Satan. The second half of Mark 5, we're presented with a dead girl and a sick woman and Jesus brings resurrection, life and healing Across to chapter 6 from verse 30, we have hungry thousands and Jesus provides an abundance of food. In the second part of chapter 6, you have frightened fishermen on the lake to whom Jesus brings courage. Then chapter 7, 
We have Jesus bringing cleanness to the unclean, bringing hearing and speech to the deaf and mute and bringing sight to the blind in Mark chapter 8. But for those who are rich and for those who are well off and powerful and socially acceptable and religious and who generally think they're going okay in life, those who think they're either right with God already or who don't think they need God to begin with, Jesus brings warning and judgement. The rich young man in Mark chapter 10 says to Jesus, look, I've kept all of the laws. Because he was wealthy and righteous, from his perspective, he didn't think he needed saving. He thought he'd done all that was required to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus exposes the young man's idolatry and sin and it seems he was unwilling to give it up. On the outside it looked like he had everything, this rich young man. But as Jesus says in, uh, in the book of Revelation in chapter 3 to the church in Laodicea, you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you don't realise that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. I counsel you, says Jesus, to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. You see, worldly riches and beauty and religion and wisdom count for nothing when it comes to entering the kingdom of God because you're still bound by sin. Jesus didn't hold back when speaking to the Pharisees and the other religious elites of the day. He tore strips off them, calling them whitewashed walls, broods of vipers and sons of the devil. On the outside, the rich and beautiful and religious and wonderful look the goods. They seem good enough for God or they don't seem to need God. But Jesus shows us that sin is equally evident in their lives when you scratch beneath the surface. So from the most destitute and afflicted to the rich, powerful, religious elites of society, Jesus has the same message of salvation. We each have that common fundamental problem of sin which blocks and hinders us from coming to God. Sometimes this sin is obvious in either our circumstances like the demon-possessed guy or the blind man or perhaps the sin is obvious in our behaviour. So in John chapter 4 you have the woman at the well who's had a string of husbands and now the guy she's with isn't even uh, married to her. Or the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. Or Zacchaeus the tax collector who's always ripping people off. These people publicly experience the reality of sin. But sin is equally evident in those whose lives are supposedly good, the wealthy, the healthy, the religious, the rich and the powerful, like the rich young man, like the Pharisees and like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. In fact, sin is arguably even more dangerous in this latter form because it's so deceptive. When sin is obvious, it makes it easier uh, in a way for someone to cry out for salvation. But when it's kind of less obvious but no less real, it makes it harder to see one's true plight. 
What does Jesus say after the rich young man goes away sad? How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. It would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. This is partly why I think Jesus says at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that those who are down and out, those who are poor and oppressed, those who are humble and meek are blessed, says Jesus. And they're blessed because they can see their sin. They can see the reality of sin and they can see that they need a saviour. Sin is enslaving and it's multifaceted. It's systemic and thoroughly pervasive, so thoroughly pervasive that we often don't even realise how enslaved we actually are. It manifests itself in a variety of ways in people's lives, sometimes obviously and publicly, sometimes imperceptibly, but the condition is fundamentally the same. Sin separates us from God and results in death. Sin is serious, so serious that God had to send his one and only son to decisively deal with it. Jesus' death on the cross shows us how bad it really is. It takes something so horrendous, so appallingly brutal and unjust as the crucifixion of an innocent man, even God in the flesh, for us to see how wretched our condition is in the grip of sin. For God himself to take on flesh, to become fully human and then allow himself to be betrayed and tortured and brutalised and killed at the hands of sinful men shows us the extent he had to go to to rescue us. Jesus cries out in the garden on the night before his crucifixion, if there's any other way, take this cup from me but there is no other way. The cross is the only way that God can show mercy to sinners and maintain his perfect justice. His justice is fully met as those nails go through his son's hands and feet. Jesus is the only one who can show us our sin and our need to be redeemed by his blood. He shows us our slavery to sin and he offers us freedom. So whether we're from the lowest stratum of society and our sin is painfully obvious or we're rich and beautiful with impeccable manners and look very good and religious, we're in desperate need for Jesus Christ. So those who have put their trust in Christ have been redeemed. But what next? What what does this religion look like in everyday life? Well, redeemed people live redeemed lives and we'll come across to our text now in in Romans 12 from verse 1. (coughs) Therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. If we truly know God's mercy to us in Christ, we cannot help but live changed lives. It doesn't mean that I'm good now because I've found Jesus or I'm a Christian now so I only watch G-rated movies and drink light beer or no beer. No, it means a completely transformed world view 
Our allegiance is no longer to ourselves or our families or our jobs or our status or any other driving force, whether good or bad. The pattern of this world means many things, but at its heart, it's a world that has rejected its creator. We can reject God by being evil and selfish and immoral and greedy and so on. But we can also reject God by being good, by working hard, by doing religion, by being nice to people. As Timothy Keller says, Jesus presents us with two different brothers in the parable of the prodigal son. You have the the younger, immoral, wasteful brother who has clearly rejected his father and gone off. But you also have the morally upright brother. Both are shown to be alienated from the father because of their sin. The younger brother rejected the father by living a licentious and wasteful lifestyle. But the older brother rejected the father by only being good to get what he thought was owed to him. He wasn't interested in the father either. Both have rejected God and this shows us a spectrum of two extremes of sin. We can reject God by our obvious sins of adultery and greed and drunkenness and wild living, but we can also reject God by our goodness, our religiousness, our hard work and our looking down on sinners. We are not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. As Paul says elsewhere, we are to bring every thought into obedience to Christ. This means that as redeemed people, our thinking, our speaking, our actions, our motivations, our aspirations, our everything, are now under the Lordship of Christ. We live and breathe to please him. Like a child who finally realises that their parents love them unconditionally and then love to do things to please mum and dad because they love mum and dad, so we are to live lives out of love for our Father in heaven in deep gratitude for what he has done for us. We're to train ourselves, we're to train each other to reject the enslaving nature of sin that seeks to drag us back to conform to the pattern of this world. So when we're tempted to sin, we must remember that no temptation has seized us except what is common to man and God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. If we're tempted to judge others, we must remember that we are not to judge lest we be judged ourselves. If we're tempted to seek revenge, we need to remember the mercy and the forgiveness that we have received and we need to pass that on. All of these temptations are signs of conformity to the pattern of this world, wanton sin, judgmentalism, legalism, revenge. This is what the people of the world do. Jesus calls us out of all that and to be the light of the world. Jesus calls us to turn from all those worldly ways and to do the opposite. Have a look, come down to verse 14 in chapter 12 of Romans. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus calls us to overcome evil with good because of or in view of God's mercy, coming back to verse 1. Our motivation for, for doing these things is always the gospel. Our motivation to forgive, not to seek revenge, whatever it is, is always the gospel. And if it's not, then it's legalism and it becomes good works and I have to do it because I have to be a good Christian. So redeemed people are redeemed by the blood of Christ and redeemed people live redeemed lives and redeemed people live redeemed lives to redeem the world. When I I first became a Christian, I wondered why God didn't just take me to heaven now. I've been redeemed, I've been saved by the blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit and given eternal life. Why am I still here? I've come to realise that I actually have a job to do. All redeemed people have a job to do. God has left us here so that we may infiltrate. We are to be salt and light, says the Lord Jesus Christ. Salt in the sense of being flavoursome and tasty. Are you a tasty Christian? Sometimes Christians can be a little tasteless and watered down and our actions and our speech sort of don't mean much. Sometimes we can be a little bit too salty and a little bit in the mouth of people. We need to get the balance right, so to speak, and like Paul, become all things to all men so that we might save some. As Christians, we are to redeem culture not so much by sitting in judgement on people because of their wickedness, but by showing them and speaking to them of a better way. We're not to feed into the stereotypes of the media and popular culture that I mentioned earlier. As the church, we should be hard at work to reflect to one another the transforming power of the gospel. People really should be able to look at the church and say, wow, I want to be a part of that. We need to be a people where the power of the gospel is truly evident. This doesn't mean that we put on a show or pretend that everything's right, everything's fine. As I was saying earlier, God allows us to go through the same things that all people go through, but we do so with redemption in mind. Our response to what this fallen world throws at us is different because we are redeemed people. If we're afflicted with sickness or depression or loss, we recognise that God is with us. And that we don't need to despair for we look forward to the day when God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more mourning or crying or pain because the old order of things will have passed away. Even when things go well for us, we don't lord it over others or fill ourselves with pride. Paul says that he's content whether he has everything or whether he has nothing because he has Christ. In the Old Testament, Job went from having everything to having nothing and his faithful response is an encouragement and an example for all of us 
He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. As the church, as God's redeemed people, we are to represent what it means to truly live in this fallen world with a view to the new heaven and the new earth and recognising that God has it all under control, even when it doesn't look like it. As the church, we're also to represent what it means to truly relate to our fellow human beings. It seems that Paul is speaking in Romans 12 predominantly about conduct in the church, how a redeemed people should look. How on earth can we be salt and light to those outside of the church? How can we reach a broken world with the gospel if we can't even get it right with Christians? These words from the Apostle really make me think. How often do we get persecuted by other Christians? How often do we neglect our own brothers and sisters? How often do we harbour thoughts of revenge amongst those in the Christian community? I think there's some repentance needed there. While we're certainly to be the light of the world individually, we're also to be a light corporately as the church. Let's have a look from um, chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. We're to practice on each other as the church. We're to live in humility. We're to serve one another. We're to practice being selfless and others-focused and to use the gifts that God has given us, not for ourselves, but for each other. We need to get our own house in order, so to speak, doing well to those within the church as well as those outside of the church. Redeemed people are those who have been rescued by Jesus Christ from sin, death and hell through faith in his blood shed on the cross. And in view of God's mercy, we are now to live redeemed lives in joyful obedience to Christ, no longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds, consciously bringing every aspect of who we are under the Lordship of Christ. And as we do this, both as individuals and together as the church, we recognise that Jesus has left us here with a job to do, to infiltrate the world, with the message and conduct of the gospel so as to redeem the world back to its loving creator. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, thank you for redeeming us through your son Jesus. Thank you that you have redeemed us from all walks of life and from all sorts of sins to be your people through the cross. Father, help us to live redeemed lives by the power of your Holy Spirit, the lives you've called us to live and the good works you've prepared in advance for us to do. Help us to put aside judgmentalism and hypocrisy and legalism and all sorts of other sins that can entangle us in view of your mercy to us. Help us no longer to conform to the pattern of this world but to be transformed by you renewing our minds and focusing us on the gospel. Father, may the world know the reality of sin and know their need for a saviour and may they hear of this incredible redemption and of your glory in the salvation of your people. Empower us, Father, to hold out the message of the gospel, both in speech and in action, that this fallen and broken world may be saved. In Jesus' name, Amen.